Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I found myself in a situation where I was facing homelessness and I wasn't going to talk about it even as a journalist because I thought if I do, this might affect how I'm seen in the public. It might affect possible work that I'll I'll get. Um, It may make people think less of me, right? Stigma. Stigma. Okay, so when I felt that, I thought now I'm going to do it. Well, I've been doing this podcast for over a year now, and a recurring theme has been housing and rent. Uh, People like Brezzy and Mark O'Halloran have appeared on my podcast. Successful people in their own right. Some some of these people are at the top of their game, and yet they have uh, encountered tremendous difficulty in either trying to get a mortgage or find a, a place which has affordable rent over a long period of time. And so this has gradually become a topic that I feel very um, strongly about myself. So one of my favourite people to chat to um, since we did the Sunday Roast on Today FM is journalist Larissa Nolan. Not only very passionate and informed about this issue is Larissa, she also has personal experience, having faced, would you believe it, homelessness just a few years ago. Um, while working as a very successful journalist, columnist of the year, in fact, just a few years ago. I really wanted to get into this issue with her, her personal experience, which has led to this country uh, facing into such a housing crisis. Who is to blame and who might be able to get us out of it? This isn't a technical conversation. This isn't about planners and buying land and politicians. This kind of becomes a conversation as well about, does anybody really want to solve this problem? And why are problems... So many problems in this country and so many obvious problems seemingly unsolvable. What is wrong with us that we can't come together as a community and solve a basic problem that is in a sense robbing up to two generations now of the right, if you like to call it a right, um, to have to own a property themselves or to be able to own a property themselves. So this is a bit of a different podcast, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. I've been through a million things in my life and actually... Of all the things that nearly brought me to the verge of a kind of a nervous collapse entirely was this situation. Of course it did. I mean, these landlords are fat on rents. They're absolutely fat on rents. And the rest of us are, as I was saying, like the donkey with displayed legs trying to actually pay them. And he says they have one person's rent is another person's income. If you're someone who wants to make it on your own, work hard, do the best you can, study, train, work every hour God sends, it doesn't matter anymore unless you have a load of money, which you can't have a load of money if you're paying a load of money on rent. You can't save for the deposit. So if you don't have mommy and daddy to give you the money, you are totally locked out. And the reason they went and flung open their doors for the Ukrainian people, they said, well, it's completely not their fault what's happening in Ukraine, right? And it isn't, obviously. If that's what their logic then by definition, they're thinking that on some level, the people who are caught in the housing crisis, that it is their fault. Mm-hmm. The actual thing is that it isn't their fault. You do not want to miss this chat with Larissa Nolan coming right up after we take a little trip down memory lane and to one of our favourite comedy sketches from the last few months. It was a rare occasion when my special guest played a starring role in the comedy sketch. The guest was Niall Boylan, controversial Uh, shock jock talk show host one of Ireland's best known phone-in talk show presenters host of the Niall Boylan show and late night live on classic hits radio Niall is a master at moderating live on air discussions with callers many of which can get very heated this particular discussion you're about to hear Niall chair now features some familiar voices 
Welcome along, Ireland's Classic Kids. Here we are on this Tuesday night. Now, I got a very interesting email that I'd love to have a chat with you about. And uh, John sent me in the email and he said he was out shopping. No, I was out shopping with the wife the other day. We were looking for a television and she spotted these lights with a camera on it. You know the ones the girls use for OnlyFans. And I said to her, well, what do you think of that? And she said, I wouldn't fancy doing that to make a big, bit of extra money. And I said, are you mad? You'd actually take your clothes off to make a bit of extra money. And she seemed really keen on it. I have to be honest now, I'd be disgusted. There's no way I would allow my wife to take her clothes off uh, in, on camera for other fellas to pedal at. So there is absolutely no way, Noel. I'm just wondering what your callers would think. Well, now, it is an interesting topic. And I don't know, how would you feel if your wife, your daughter, your mother decided to go on OnlyFans because it is mainly women that do it there is some lads that do it but mainly women so how would you feel give us a call or give us a text do it now 087-188-0008 and let us know you know would you be happy if your other half decided to take her kit off for the enjoyment of other men now all right, we just let's go to a few callers if we can uh, Leo you're on line one Leo I, I, I know uh, how are you doing, Leo? Good, yeah, I'm really enjoying your show. Leo, how would you feel if your other half decided, you know, I'm going to get my kid off for money? Uh, well, he doesn't actually take his kid off for money, but actually uh, I, I'm kind of interested in taking my top off. Oh, right. At right. Times, uh, I was in the Phoenix Park there a couple of years ago, and um, I took my top off, and uh, somebody actually gave me 50 cents. <laughs> oh, very good, yeah, very so, good. Uh, very they good. said, have you ever tried OnlyFans? All right. So uh, I was thinking of um, if I took my top off a bit more, you uh, might get a bit of money. Yeah, and there's a friend of mine who I work with. I think with. I've seen that picture of you. There's top a friend of mine who I work with uh, called Pascal. Right. Uh, and actually, he, he logs on and, uh, oh, right. and, and watches me. Uh, uh, He's got think, plenty of money, hasn't yeah, he? I think yeah. he has a good bit of a pedal as well. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, right. So, uh, I, I, I just personally, I think it's you know each man to his own. Absolutely. Every man to whatever he wants. But do you think there's a bit of a stigma? Do you think people really want to see your bare chest? That would be different. I, I really hope there's a stigma. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, I oh, mean, sorry, a stigma. Yeah. I don't. I, I mean, you don't. Oh, sorry. I thought I thought you were talking about a growth or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no I have I'm, no stigmas. No, I'm, I mean, my chest is hairless, like yourself. Yeah, yeah, but you don't really have a. You know, you wouldn't really have the six pack, would you, first? Um. Well, you know, it's all about how you work at things. You know. Yeah. Well, let me just bring another caller if I can. Stay okay. with me there, Leo, for just a second. George, you're in Fox Rock. You're in Ireland's classic hits. How you doing, George? Yeah, loving the show. Absolutely loving the show. It's great to be able to talk in a libertarian way. Just. Get it off your chest. Um, I was thinking of going on OnlyFans as well. Really? But At not, your age? But not to show my dodger. Right. I want to show demons people to pay right. for my naked opinion. Oh, very good. Never thought of that. I don't think they want to hear you. I think they want to see you, George. OnlyFans opinion. Yeah, right. George. Right. That's what I want. Right. By the way, could you put me in touch with that hair removal place? <laughs> right. Or play hair restoration? No, that, Is that clinic of yours still open? Uh, well, that's for adding the hair, not taking it away. No, no I want to add it. <laughs> oh, right, I see. Yes, It'll make you look younger anyway, George, and maybe then right. you could go on OnlyFans. But you, you've been listening to Leo there. He likes to go for a prance around, the, or sorry, a walk around I the park. i for that. Uh huh, would you? I would, I'd love a look of Leo. Would you? I like a bit of Finnegale. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, well, let me just go to another call. Let's just get a female perspective on this because I think it's interesting to get the female perspective. So, lads, hang on with me. Joan, you're in Dublin West. How are you doing, Joan? You're Hi, Niles. Hi, Joan. I love the show. I'm glad. Brilliant. 
And can I just say that I've been on OnlyFans now for three years. Have you? Yes. Are you making any money? No. Do you owe the money? Yes. <laughs> I can imagine, yes. So I'm wondering... It hasn't been working out well. Do you, have you got any fans at all? I think it's because I, that's how I lost my seat in the last election. Because I was showing my seat. Oh, right, I see. So did you get any fans at all? None. No, right, okay. Maybe you could promote it a bit better no. on your social media. Give me your log on details. I'd have a look at that. Maybe Leo might want to have a look. He'll subscribe to you. No, thanks, no. All right, okay, okay. I've just met me. Well, okay. Well, I'd look at George's, though. Right, okay. You probably would. Obviously, Joan is a woman. Yeah, let's go to a younger man. Well, he's not really a younger man, is he? Uh, Matt, how you doing? You're from Cork. You're an Ireland's Classic Kids. How you doing, Matt? How you doing, Noel? How um, you doing, Matt? Do you know, I was thinking of um, actually growing back my mullet. Where? Uh, would they pay to see that? I wonder. Uh, no, no. I think it has to be parts of your body. Right, but is a mullet not a part of my body? Uh, not essentially, it's more of an no, extension to your body. Us. Not no. all of us. No, not, not all of us have hair extensions now. <laughs> well, I understand that. Yeah. It's a bit unfair of you to categorise everybody as having hair that's extensions. That would be offensive. My hair it? is my own. Absolutely. Well, I'm delighted to oh, hear that. Okay. But maybe, maybe I suppose you could show them a bit of leg, Matt. Joan did that. It didn't work know. out for her, but you know, know. What I mean? yeah, yeah, show them a little bit of leg, maybe or Does something. Any mullet for OnlyFans, I'll do it. Right, okay. I'm looking at some of the texts coming in. Somebody says, "No, I'd rather not see any of Leo's chest." To be honest with you, and as for George, he's a little bit old. Joan, on the other hand, maybe sure I'd give it a try if I did it with a blindfold on. And as for Matt, I don't know. I think he's too much of a liberal to take his clothes off in the first place. He might offend people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, brilliant. I really enjoyed Niall um, Boylan actually on the episode and it proved to be one of our most um, successful episodes actually of the last few months. Make sure to check out that full episode with Niall, a fascinating person with an incredible backstory himself and lots of opinions on a lot of issues. Now, let's get to Larissa. This is a topic that I believe is one of the most important of our time. I don't, you don't need me to tell you that. It might even force a, a sea change in our political system uh, not too um, far away maybe from now. Larissa is so informed and passionate about it, also having personal experience. Let's get straight to it. So, Larissa, you are yet another person who joins me on my podcast, um, who is eminent in your field. There have been three or four of them on my podcast over the last year who are really good at what they do, kind of top of, you know, top of their tree in Irish terms, um, and um, have, by the by, just either had anecdotes or, or, or told me that either they can't afford a house, couldn't afford a house, were nearly made homeless, can't afford the rent, all that sort of stuff. And then um, Patrick uh, alerted me to the issue that you even had a more personal story regarding this. So like you were columnist of the year, you've got a great job as an editor, features editor with the, the Daily Mirror, and um, you, you, you were facing homelessness. I was, and it was quite a while ago, actually. So this goes back. This this crisis, the issue that I have with it, Mario, is that it pre it's it's nearly ten years old now at this stage. The the housing crisis. It has been let run and run uh, in the face of you know so many um, uh, warnings and case store studies, and you know it, it let it was just let continue on until it's completely out of control now. So I suppose if if I'm to explain my situation, um, I I was. I found myself in a situation where I was facing homelessness and I, I'm going to tell you about how that came about now in a minute but um, I felt that I wasn't going to talk about it even as a journalist because I thought if I do this might affect how I'm seen in the public it might affect possible work that I'll, I'll get um, it may make people think less of me right? Stigma A Stigma Okay so and when I felt that 
I thought, now I'm going to do it. Now I'm going to do it. Because actually, I don't normally like bringing my private life into my work. It doesn't generally come into my work. But I said to myself, that's exactly the reason why you have to write about this. Because what was happening for too long in Ireland, and this is how this situation has been allowed to roll on and roll on and turn into the monster that it is today, is that it was too easy for too long for people to say, that's other people it's happening to. Those are those people who haven't done the right thing in life. Maybe, you know, for any reason, they haven't got married or they didn't marry well or, you know, oh, but you're one as a single parent. Like, for example, I'm a single parent. Um, uh, oh, they they didn't get their acting gear or, you know, they're lower classes. So for ages. Well, it's m- correct, Larissa. This is part of what traditional conservative economic policy dictates. It, it's related to religion. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that if you are not succeeding, there's something wrong with you. Yes. And it's probably goes back to this fucking Protestant Catholic thing that God has, you know, it, it does because Protestantism and Calvinism and all this sort of stuff, you know, God yeah. rewards the yeah. people who are good. Yeah. Uh, so it's, with it's economic, built in. Yeah, it is. It's built, it's built into in. society. But I think more what it is, Mario, is that it makes people feel better about their lives and it allows them a, a free card to say I don't have to do anything about this right because it's somebody else because it's and somebody else and they did fault? the wrong things yeah. and they're at fault and actually if you look at just, sorry I'm going all around no, the no, years here right, you're right if, if you look at say the response to uh, the Ukraine crisis which is has been a wonderful response and, and full of charity uh, in Ireland flinging open doors and so on and, and letting spare rooms and, and everything you know the right response to people who are in trouble um, there was none of that all through the housing crisis. And I have heard horrendous stories and I have advocated on behalf of people living in the, the kind of Ireland that you would only imagine in Dickensian times. And yet when I'd ask people to help, there would be absolute blank refusal and almost a kind of a scathing response like, I mean, well, how do you think I could do that? Because in my view of looking at it, the reason why people didn't help all those people who had genuine uh, serious crises and the reason they went and flung open their doors for the Ukrainian people is because on some level, when I asked people about that, they said, um, well, it's completely not their fault what's happening in Ukraine, right? And it isn't, obviously. But I would think that if that's what their logic, then by definition, they're thinking that on some level, the people who are caught in the housing crisis, that it is their fault. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were able to justify it maybe like that. Yes. And, you know, the, the actual thing is that it isn't their fault. And for too long, this is to do with, this is a direct result of political, of, of policy, of government policy. It, and this isn't, a, this isn't a, my reading, this is, an abs, this is a fact of the matter, is that the housing crisis is not some sort of act of God that, you know, a finger has come down and pointed out Ireland and said, you're going to suffer from an uncontrollable housing crisis and there's nothing you can do about it. It's direct result of government policy and it's government policy in action. This has been created engineered and maintained by the government and that's why we're living in what we're living in today so it isn't actually the people's fault whatsoever we'll come back to that in a moment yeah so let's just focus on your personal yeah story <laughs> sorry i'll go back to that for the, for the and then we'll yeah. focus on on the problem the genesis and why it keeps why the problem keeps persisting yeah okay well I'd, I'd, the way i'll start my own story i suppose is that i am um, i can uh, to make it um i'll bring it up to the present day I continue to be locked in and in the housing crisis. I continue to be locked into rental and blocked out of housing. So I, it, it is an ongoing part of my life for nearly 10 years now. But where it, where it came up originally was uh, back in 2014. Uh, this is the time where I decided I had to speak out about it. Um, 
I got notice for, uh, to quit from my landlord. Uh, not notice to quit, sorry. I got a notice that the rent was was doubling. I can't remember exactly what the doubling. figure was, but it was going from something like 1,000 to 2,000. Uh, now, I, at the time, I was renting a two-bed place um, in the city centre and it was at those low rates that we had following the, the recession. It was around 1,000 euro. Yeah. And I was told that it was going up to, and I can't remember the exact figure, but it was approximately doubling. Oh my God. So I was thinking to myself, right, this is hard enough to pay as it is. Of yeah. course, a lot of money. Um, but uh, how am I going to pay for, for a double it? I can't. Now, at that, at that time in 2014, you could, you could increase the rent by as much as you liked. You mm-hmm. could increase it by 50%, 100%, 200%, whatever you thought, mm. you could just increase it. Mm. And you only had to give approximately six to eight weeks notice. Yeah. Because I know, because I got that letter in January and I remember being told this new payment system is going to start in March. Mm. So I had this small period of time. But I remember the feeling when I opened the letter mm. and I remember feeling like heaviness right into my boots. And I just, it was like my, my whole soul was just sinking into the ground. Mm. I'd been living there for seven or eight years with my son and um, What age was your son well, at actually, that point? You no, know, I was just thinking he was born when I was living there so I, I was there he was a, um, about eight or? he would have been maybe oh God, how am I forgetting five or six he was okay. five I think and so I'd been there the whole time um, and to get this letter and there was absolutely no um, moving on this in this particular case there was no um, way of get, getting around I couldn't change his mind on it essentially you know that's a separate issue maybe but what what really happened was it was just a case of you must find somewhere to live as soon as possible because I had six weeks to suddenly start paying twice the rent that I was previously paying and um so I managed to kind of fight and, and fight and, and, and tooth and nail really to keep the place for another couple of months in order to find another place. Um, and Did I you suffer that. during this time in terms of um, stress? Yeah. And I mean, you said you're, you felt your body sink into your boots. Yeah. Um, did this make, did, did this affect you stress wise? Well, I always think that when I think on it, of it, I always think that there's, I've been through a million things in my life and actually of all the things that nearly brought me to the verge of a kind of a nervous collapse entirely was this situation. Yeah, of course it did. Because there was, it was me, I look after my son, I have yes. that responsibility. It's the, the roof over your the head. The roof over your head, you know, the food in the child's mouth is, the, is, the, is well, you know, it's our family. There's no you know? going anywhere without the roof over your head. Yeah. There's yeah. no getting on a Lewis. There's no going to your job. Yeah. There's no eating in a restaurant. There's no eating at night. There's no eating in the morning. There's no getting up in the morning. Yeah. Where do you get up in the morning if you have no getting up place to do? Yeah. It's the entirety of your life. Yeah. It's your shelter. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's your and it's your security as well. And it's in, in rate of children, it's it's basic security for, for, for children, it's which the is the most they, basic. What they seek the most basic. So I was thinking to myself would people know that this person who's been working for 20 years in journalism or whatever it was and is deemed to be in the professions is facing a situation where they may have to declare themselves homeless. They may have to like, and this is not a choice. This was like, I I, I had nowhere else to, to go. Now, I, I mean, look, technically you could move back into your, your mother's house uh, as an adult with your own children and try and deal with um, all that that brings. Um, but I mean, if I had done that, I would never probably have got back to Dublin again. I can't imagine really how you'd go down a road of going backwards to such an extent. It just didn't seem fair to me to move into my mother who was elderly um, in a, well, I grew up in a council house. It's not going to be the ideal scenario. So, you know, um, I was, I, 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 it was just the time was coming and it was like hanging over my head. So, you know, I was, I was trying and trying and trying to find a place. I eventually found a place 
like so many people do through somebody else. I mean, I remember I was ringing every single housing uh, estate agent going, is there any chance? Did you hear anything? You know, put it out in the grapevine. I was writing to everybody. I was talking to everybody. So I eventually found a place uh, through uh, a friend of a friend. And, and that's how it happened in the end. But I, yeah, I felt like at the time that there were too many stories. This was kind of conveniently being placed in the arena of this is only for people on social welfare. They're the only people being affected by this crisis. And even at the time, if you recall, if you saw people on, say, um, Primetime or any of the radio stations, they were always people saying, you know, oh, I'm a single mother of three children and I'm waiting for my house from the council. You weren't hearing the stories. And I think that for for a good while, this was happening from 2014. I knew when that was happening, that this, if it was happening to me, it was happening widespread. And I wrote to almost every single politician about it. Did you? And they all batted me on to the next one. I wrote to housing, I wrote to children. I mean, I still have the emails. I wrote to everyone. And um, they were well aware at the time that you could get have your rent doubled, that this could happen in a, in, a, in a short space of time. And I remember in my naivety writing to them saying, you know, you need to know about this because people are being affected by this and it's a loophole in the law that needs to be, you know, fixed or else you'll have lots and lots of people on the street and a homeless crisis coming down upon your head. And... Nothing was done in in the yeah. face of that. And did you write about this then, faced with this idea that in your mind you felt a stigma and you went, that's a signal to write. Did you write about it? I did. It I didn't write about the actual stigma itself, but I just felt like um, I'm going to have to stand up here. I'm going to have to be the person who says, I'm a professional, I'm a journalist and I'm facing homelessness. So, yeah, I, I did write about it at the time, which was kind of uncharacteristic because don't I don't like to do stuff like that. But, but I do feel um, like... Anything like that, the only way to break through and to actually hear the stories is to break the stigma. Well, Larissa, in that period of time that's gone by then, say seven years, in many respects, the situation is even worse. Oh, much worse. In the sense that the claw has reached out far and beyond even, you know, you. And yeah. it's, it's just everybody now. Yeah, well, this so, is what I was trying to tell people. Yeah, I was trying so, to say to people so that. It's, so it's even by people who earn, who earn more than the average. So like your, your doctors and all this sort yeah. of stuff can't yeah. find somewhere to live. Yeah. Um, my barometer that I always mention is that like uh, a, a guard and a guard married to a nurse. Yeah. The guard protects us. The nurse looks after us and salves yeah. our wounds when we come into hospital. Yeah. They're married and they can't afford a house. Yeah. Well, what kind of a society have we? So, yeah. So seven years later, after nothing being done, nothing of substance being done, we're in the worst position than we were. You yeah. T- you described it as being over 10 years of a problem. Yeah. So, what is going on, if you can manage to tell me, yeah. that we have this problem, which is the, the problem of our generation. Yeah. Right? Mm. I was saying to Patrick this morning on the phone, this is the problem of our generation and we are nowhere near to solving it. Mm-hmm. Yet we are the same species as put a man on the moon. Yeah. We looked at a problem like that which made people laugh Mm -hmm. and just went, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. And within 100 years, we got man flying in steel machines. And within another 30 years, we got man going to another planet. Yep. And we can't make it solve the problem of putting people in an affordable house. Yeah. It must be that it is more than a problem. That it isn't a problem. It's something which they are unwilling to solve. Not unable. This is my theory. It's true. That it's something that they don't want to solve, that they are lying to us, that they are saying, we're trying our best, we're going to form another subcommittee, but that they don't and never will solve. Yeah. So this is all I can do. If you can put a man on the moon, you can solve this problem. Yeah. If it's not solved, there's something else going on. 
your question indeed answers itself, Mario, because of course, if you can put a man on the moon, you can solve the, the housing crisis. There, there is no will to actually solve the housing crisis because... But that's um, not what anybody says. They'll go on TV every oh, day and say, yeah, we are doing this and that and the other. It's oh, a lie. That's what I can't stand about it, most of all. This is the greatest scandal of our time. This is actually, like, it, it's actually happening that there's no, there's no will to do this. They want to, they being the people who run the country with, without making it a big they in, in, in you know, in... in uh, Deep state uh, terms, terms are, yeah. are, are no, no, Donald it's, Trump it's, terms. It's yeah. done. I mean, there was, what happened in... What, it, this is this is all uh, completely to do with the way the country is run and willfully run. Um, the um, if I could just go back to that 2014 point, which is a key point in the housing crisis. What happened? It, it, that was when they essentially stopped building social housing, and that was a decision made. Uh, at government level, dur- during the doll, um, I, I have the, the details of it are actually in Owen, Owen O'Brien's uh, book on <clears throat> called Home. Um, um, they essentially um, housing used to be social housing used to be seventy percent built by the government and thirty percent outsourced to private landlords. Okay, but in twenty in twenty fourteen they flipped it to being we're going to be, make it 70% outsourced to private landlords and we're only going to build 30% of social housing. Now, that was kind of an evil genius move in a way because what that did was it solved the fact that after the recession, so many people who owned second houses and were, were renting them were getting very little money for them at the time, or not very little, uh, reasonable in my view, but what they would amount, they would, what they would say was too little money. They wanted their rents to go up. And if the rents go up, that also suits the government because you get something like 40 or 50 percent back in tax from that landlord. I hope I'm not being confusing on, now okay. about this. But what happens is then is that higher rents suit landlord, who are the voters, and suits government because they're getting money back in tax. So that that's the system that worked. And it was it was deliberately flipped um, as a part of sort of the solutions of getting us out of the recession. Uh, but it also meant that we, we moved significantly from um, building social housing mm. into outsourcing social housing, mm. um, which is just, it makes it into a, mo- a profit-making exercise. Okay, I see. So it seems to me then that the narrative, the people who want, the people who are, let's say, uh, writing articles, doing tweets, mm. complaining, giving out, um, pointing out mm. the problem, mm. are actually following the wrong narrative. Because we're following the narrative that seems to suggest, no, guys, you're doing the wrong thing to solve the problem. Yeah. You're getting it wrong again. Yeah. What you should be doing is this. Yeah. This is wrong narrative. Nobody's listening. Mm-hmm. Nobody's no. like, they don't want to solve no, the they problem. This sure, is- they could have stopped it at any point. There was numerous points along the way they could yes. have stopped it. Yes. That time when I was writing to them saying, listen, people are doubling the rent. This can go insane. Yes. You have to stop it. That's a basic law in every single yes. rental uh, world. And I just wanted to get on to a slightly, continued from this to a slightly mm. broader argument. And that is, you know, I remember listening to Vincent Brown years ago and not believing him, but, but then finding out that he was right years ago <laughs> saying we're one of the richest countries in the world because mm. I remember growing up in 1980s Ireland thinking we were a third world country or a second and a half world country mm. but no we really transformed into a first world country with huge per capita wealth yeah. with massive savings in our bank accounts mm. in, in, as a whole a very very wealthy country and in this very very wealthy country which is you know tech full of tech and you know services and education mm. well educated English speaking Uh, population we have this almost existential crisis where a woman who is a top commentator a top journalist living in the centre of Dublin feels that she will be homeless 
a middle a person on a middle class income yeah. or a doctor or a doctor or a guard and a nurse married to each other mm. and in a first world economy locked out of a shelter yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, locked out of shelter. It's completely and utterly bananas. Yeah. It's completely anathema. So it leads me to believe, again, just to get back to this thing, that in this first world country, this rich country, nobody wants to fix this problem. And so we are still left with the same people running power. Mm. Now, I don't, I'm multi-voter, so I could vote for anybody. Yeah. I vote. In fact, I've voted for everybody since I was 18. Yeah. So I don't have any political affiliations and I've never been a member of a political party. But it's obvious to me that if one was to look at the scale of the problem and go, this is a generational problem crucifying our two, at least two generations, not just one now, yeah. about two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go, what is the, subs- the source of that problem? Well, it's policy and it's the people who are making it. Mm-hmm. And it's the self-perpetuation of those policies between, let's say, landed and, and landlords and politicians and votes and everything, right? Mm. That spiral continues. Well, then what would be the only logical solution? The only logical solution would be to kick them out Mm. and at least give credence to the other people who say, we're going to solve this problem. You mentioned Owen O'Brien and he wrote a book called Home. Yeah. So these people have said they will solve the problem. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what I would do then. I would just kick the others out and just go leave these guys in and say, well, what are you going to do about it? You know that this is the only game in town. Yeah, yeah. Right? Forget about fucking inflation. Yeah. Forget about interest rates. Who cares about interest rates when you don't have a house to have an interest rate mm-hmm. mortgage on? Mm-hmm. People want shelter. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. So that's that's the next thing. Well, yeah. Why that's... wouldn't people just try these guys out then? Well, I mean, we see that in the polls that they're just about, just about ready to do so. Sinn Féin are climb, climbing up so high in the polls that they, they're, if, if you look at how they're going up, they're close enough to getting an absolute majority mm. if it keeps going up as, as it is. Um, What's your position yeah. on that now? Well, I'd be interested to hear your position on that. Yeah. Because you could talk to people, let's say we're having a pint, right? And there'd be four of us around the table. Yeah. And there'd be two, like, let's say, call them you know, liberal economic neocons there. And they go, they'd laugh and they'd splutter their pint and they go, Mario, Sinn Féin will destroy the country. Oh, yeah, yeah, they love okay. steering, yeah. Yeah, so they basically will all blow up if Sinn Féin come in. Yeah. Personally, I'd go, I wouldn't even mind if we blew up, if everybody had a house. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be as bad as what it is now. Yeah, well, we already have. We've blown up. Yeah, we have. Yeah. So, so how I mean, bad can it get? Yeah, exactly. And we've also created this situation as well, uh, whereby, you know, the, 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 it's a rental crisis, right? That was just, just to go back to this thing that I'm just thinking about. The whole thing was allowed to, to spiral in that the rental crisis then left a situation where rental was such a, a hellscape that everybody is racing to try and buy a house. And so then that the house prices go up. So the whole thing is like building and building and getting worse and worse and worse. And yes, the only people who seem to have the actual will to do anything about it in the public, especially in the public um, mind, is is Sinn Féin. So you can see that's it's on that. I'm convinced it's on that one issue alone. It is. That, 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 that people are actually voting in their droves for Sinn Féin. You have a whole generation that is... In arrested development it's the only way that it can be described they can't move forward they can't get a house they probably can't have children all those things are going to be completely arrested you have a generation of children now who have grown up on couches who have who have never slept in a bed because they've they've can only afford to live in a bed sit so I mean these are things that are completely irre- they're not reversible now it is also revealed it is also um, it is also destroyed what you might Describe even in this would be a very conservative thing to say as the aspirational society. Mm. What can you aspire to anymore? Yeah. What yeah. can you aspire to? Yeah. If you cannot aspire to having a house that you own 
or even an affordable long-term rent, which yeah. is similar yeah. to security. What can you aspire to? Yeah. What can you aspire to? Where can you aspire to having a family or a place that you base yourself? Mm-hmm. Steady job. A job maybe with people you like. Yeah. To have a family. Develop. Uh, join a club down the road near to your house yeah. where you can pursue your interests. Go for a walk in the park near to your house where you can just, you know, have some leisure time. Mm-hmm. How can we aspire to anything? Yeah, you're How right. Can, but this is what they this is what Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Conservative Party in 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 Britain. This is their main word, aspirational society. <laughs> the aspirational. I mean even Pascal is beginning to sound like that fool Richie Sunak. Yeah. The aspirational society. Yeah, yeah. You know, I came from a chemist. My father worked hard. 200 pounds he started and then I went to Winchester. Yeah. Because you can as well. So we can't. Well, that's it. That's the, the pull yourself. Sometimes they can be the worst people because they're going, I pulled myself up by yeah. my bootstraps. Why can't you? Why can't you is because you're being blocked in the face of yeah. a country that prevents social mobility. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're there working as, as hard as you possibly can, there is no reward at the end of that. There's no, listen, you've worked really hard. You get to pull yourself up into yeah. the next rung. That's, that's one of the reasons I find it most egregious is because it's on an equality level. And we hear so much from the government on equality what we've done for equality. But the basis of equality is allowing people to pull themselves up into the middle class. As you say, where they put down roots, where even from a conservative uh, agenda, you'd want to be encouraging people to do that. They, they create societies, they create communities. Nobody can do any of that without first buying a house. But yeah, it's the marker of the middle class. Sorry. And that's that's why that's if, if you are preventing people and keeping them locked down into this renter class, so you've got renter class and you've got rentier class. Then you've wiped out the entire middle class, which is what seems to be happening. And I honestly wonder, do they mind anymore? Because I always thought when this thing reached up to the middle class, it'd be solved overnight. Yeah. There'd be laws brought in, rents would be brought down. That's because right. this is But really, it has reached up to the middle class and there's nothing happening. I always thought. So it's that easing that itself. It. Yeah. So where are we going with this? Are we deciding then that... Some of us have to rent for life and pay 50% chunk, 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 chunk all our money over to the landlord, like something out of, uh, you know, the land wars in Ireland. You know, that, that's, that's what it's, it's like. Yeah. And then you have this other guy making loads of money and laughing at you. Yeah. You know, the whole thing has become a corporate. It's, it's so dug in to uh, the Irish economy and the running of the country. Yeah, you were, you, you, there was another kind of point that you wanted to make, I think, if, if I'm right, that you, if you yeah. can tag on to this. And that was that apart from the fact that it seems to be a, a kind of a self-perpetuating kind of cabal between the voters and the people with money. Yeah. Um, the rentiers, if you like. Yeah. Um, the, the, that, that it, there's also a second element to it that which you were talking about this book by Joel Kotkin the, oh, yeah. uh, the big tech neo-feudalism yeah the coming of neo-feudalism mm. I really would highly recommend anyone to get this book it is by Joel Kotkin who is some uh, se- senior academic in uh, America I can't remember his actual title but it's Joel Kotkin uh, the coming of neo-feudalism so if you look at feudalism um, and I believe aren't you didn't you study history Mario I think you did study no I history. studied politics and economics you but did I did some history of uh, political thought to, to put well. To put it in, so you'll, you'll obviously know what, fe- what, what exactly, feudalism yeah, is, yeah. and without um, um, patronising anyone who's listening, essentially it was a system whereby you had three classes of society: you had the clergy, you had the aristocracy, and then you had the commoners. Uh, so the aristocracy today 
are that those people who own the tiny percentage who own vast shares of of wealth who are who are our tech overlords uh, the, mm. the tech oligarchy so you have all these people lecturing to us about um, how we must be you know again more inclusive and greener and all these things but the one thing that they don't care about is socio socioeconomic issues because they're happy enough to see themselves take all the wealth and the rest of us you know waddle in the uh, in the pool of ever lower increasing um, expectations, prospects, expectations, wages, uh, mm. you know, employment um, rights. So you have those. And then the clergy to me is what I would c- call the clerisy, which is a class of people who are regarded as the sort of intellectual elite. <clears throat> so you have then, say, the scientists, um, you'd have, uh, you know, the, the journalists, to be honest, the senior journalists, and they're all telling us how to think and, and, and how to live. Um, the economists, by the way, who continue, continually tell us um, that there's no housing crisis. This is happening all over the world. Excuse me. This is happening all over the world. And uh, who throw out things like, you know, oh, sure, people are buying houses at the age of 35. That's the average age in Ireland. It's not, by the way. I just want to put this on the record. That's a that's a fake news story that's been repeated again and again. The I average, haven't even heard that. The average age of house buying in Ireland is 42. But also if you dig deeper into that figure, and I do know this, yeah. if you dig deeper into that figure, not only is it 42, but the vast majority you'll find of those 42 year olds have yeah. had the mummy and daddy bank. Oh, of course. You know, so it's, it's completely excluding yeah. um, anybody who who can't, who, who wants to work on their own. If you're somebody who wants to make it on your own, work hard, do the best you can, study, train, work every hour God sends, it doesn't matter anymore unless you have a load of money, which you can't have a load of money if you're paying a load of money Correct. on rent. You can't save for the deposit. Yeah. So if you don't have mommy and daddy to give you the money, you are totally locked out. So, there's nowhere around So there's that. the aristocracy, which is the global uh, sort of tech. Yeah. There's the clerisy, which is a kind of a mixture of opinion makers and elites and yes, scientists. Yes, exactly. And then you have the the, the, the commoners, which mm-hmm. are, it's it, you, if you, in order to keep this hierarchy, of course, you have to keep the commoner down. The commoner camp really has to exist in order to do everything else. Like I always felt that like, you know, the working class at the moment, and I regard that as in this stage with what's happening, it goes all the way up, as you say, to, you know, into the professions. They're like the donkey carrying all the the, the big burden of the rent, the rent crisis and the housing crisis. And everybody else is just going, that's grand. Sure, let them carry it. We're, we're just, we're carrying it on our shoulders and we're, it's being let happen. And there's nobody, they can, they can talk away about this and that and we're trying this and we're doing that. But like for me, right, unless they just turn around and say rent freeze or rent drop, everybody in this area uh, pays this amount of rent. Everybody here pays that amount of rent. We need to take control of this thing. Unless they do something like that, their refusal the, 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 for me, the refusal to bring in a rent freeze, the absolute steadfast, you know, digging into the ground refusal to even countenance a rent freeze, to me, tells us that the government doesn't take this seriously, doesn't want it to change. You, you heard uh, Leo Varadkar, I think, in the doll. He was saying at one stage, um, I thought he'd gone mad, actually. I thought he was saying something nice in the beginning. He said, one person's rent is another person's income. And I thought he was saying, yeah, you know, my whole income goes on rent. That's how I immediately read that. But no, what he meant was landlords have a right to earn a percentage higher every year because that's their income. And that what he's saying there, and I have a lot of respect for Leo actually in other ways, but what he's saying there is the landlord's right to earn an increased profit every year is coming before your right to, to live in a house, either rent or buy for a, a reasonable amount of money as opposed to an absolute extortionate back-breaking amount of money. Yeah. I mean, these landlords are fat on rents. 
They're absolutely fat on rents. And the rest of us are, as I was saying, like the donkey with displayed legs trying to actually pay them. And he says they have one person's rent is another person's income. Gotcha, so yeah. even by that, you can tell where the ideology is. And as regards the Sinn Féin question, at least that would root out that ideology. I, I sometimes wonder, Mario, is it too late at this stage to actually change what's happened? Because rents are gone insane. You know, houses as a result of that have gone insane. Because they've gone really high, landlords are selling up. Uh, so you have even less uh, rental. Um, I, I think I, I'm, I think if Sinn Féin do do anything, they're going to have to raise the entire thing to the ground. It's going to be have to be completely raised. Um, they certainly don't have the ideology um, that Fine Gael have demonstrated and I would be hopeful because they have a completely different ideology and they do stand for the working class. So there's some hope there. I just wonder, is it too late? It reminds me a bit of, not to draw this analogy out too much, but it reminds me a bit some of the climate change argument as well. Um, and, 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 and it's this side of the argument. It's the side that you hear a farmer on prime time and the farmer are the, the representative of the farmers and the farmer's have two ploys it's one is denial that the problem is as bad as it is mm. Sec- the second part of the denial is that I- the Irish an- the Irish part of this problem is not as bad as it is if you look at Brazil and all this stuff they're way worse mm. so we're not the bad boys mm. third part of it is Sharoni a small country mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know so uh, it's it's they, they 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 don't want to they don't what I'm saying is they don't want to face up to the fact mm-hmm. that they might be part of the problem because they will in essence be giving up their livelihood or so they're told and so they are lobbyists as well to the government yeah who won't who won't do stuff because they don't want to fuck off the farmers who are their lobby well yeah I mean that's ultimately what's happening if you if you come bring it down to it they they are still. Um, but overly promoting um, the, the corporate interest, the, the vulture funds, the big business, the yeah. developer, the landlord. They're being, um, and it, it does make me think that we are in that going into that era of neo feudalism, because I did genuinely think that once it, it affected the middle class, they'd react overnight and everything would be solved. I was sure of that, but um, <clears throat> it's very concerning that there hasn't been drastic action. To, just to one fi- one final remark, anyway, it's just like the shame of it. The shame of it. If mm. you were them, the politicians. Yeah. I'm trying to, I, sometimes I try to picture myself as being in public service. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to live with the shame. No. Of fucking having my, being able to show my face in public. Yeah. Being around a cabinet table. Mm. That, when I know that this is happening and that I'm, we're not doing anything about it. The shame of it. The second thing is this, the, the dramatic, catastrophic effect that it's going to have on a generation's confidence as well personal mm-hmm. confidence mm-hmm. personal confidence yeah. I, I, aspiration will be gone personal confidence will be gone yeah. who am I what am I yeah. what am I able to do I have no hope Your sense and, of achievement, and, and yeah. the last thing is I cannot see any other option to this we're going to become a country of old people mm. because young people will off. have to go yeah. we're yeah. just going to become a country of old people who own their houses the last few that own their houses I mean what else is going to happen I suppose what could happen is maybe what uh, would be the Fine Gael dream, which is that we come some sort of become some sort of country version of San Francisco, where you have a place completely populated with, with no soul and completely populated by uh, tech um, multinationals and their uh, employees. That's the other alternative. And then everybody gets to leave who, who can't live here. But I mean, that's why I always say that to me, it's tantamount to treason. There's a treasonous element. Oh, totally. 
in, in what's going on here. You're, you're getting your own country and you're just selling it out. When does negligence become wanton and deliberate? Yeah, well, it's the sin of omission, isn't it? That, that, that's the theory of, you know, the sin of commission is when you actually do something. Yeah. The sin of omission here is that they're continually failing to take action when, when they could take action. Yeah, well, what was it, that old expression that evil happens when a thousand men do nothing? Yeah, well, I mean, in this case, they're willfully doing nothing. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's it's willful omission. Um, the, yeah, it's 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 a whole system that they have created that overly relies on corporate interests, and that they're now afraid to pull apart for for what may happen. And as you said, I think what may happen. Um, can't be worse than what's already happening. So, you know, if you're protecting these older people who already own their houses, well, you know, in the face of an upcoming generation, um, that's fundamentally wrong. Larissa, thanks so much for sharing that with me. And you, I'm going to pick you up on something next week, actually. Um, and it's it's the, the clerisy thing you talked about, which is a, a term I hadn't heard before. And because you're such an eminent journalist, I wanted to talk to you about journalism. Do you mind? I'd love it. Okay, let's do that. That's Larissa Nolan, excellent as ever. And as you heard at the end, we stayed on for another little while and chatted about journalism. I called it the sad decline of journalism. What has happened to journalism? Why is so much of journalism now only one consensus opinion? Um, There doesn't seem to be any um, stomach among many papers or editors uh, to deviate away from the, uh, the consensus opinion. What is that consensus opinion? How do we come to those consensus opinions? Who's responsible for us coming to those consensus opinions? Um... Larissa and I get into all of that next week another interesting conversation check out the full episode by the way with Niall Boylan that I mentioned before we'll have a comedy bonus special landing here in a few days so watch out for that Um, it's going to drop soon take care same time same place next week or even in a few days bye bye